namo tassa pakavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa pakavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa pakavato arahato samma samputassa uttang dhammang sankhang namasami so hello again hope you're all nice and peaceful now um what to talk about about the weather or whatever. I was, uh, for the third year running now, we've had uh, a bad infestation of caterpillars and uh, we've planted about 20 to 30 kind of ornamental trees, crab apples and cherries and things like that. And once again, the uh, the caterpillars decimated uh, some of the more delicate trees, so they've got a few little green leaves on them, but they look very pathetic. And that was last month, and now I was walking um, by that workshop where we have the big basswoods. Those are the basswoods are the tallest trees we have, and uh, there are all these little moths flying around. So I realized, though. The moths are from the caterpillars, right? Now it was interesting watching my perception. My perception was, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you, moth. Not quite so strong, but the perception was negative, right? And that's the way the conditioned mind works. Something happens. I don't like it. Uh, I like the trees. I mean, the, the caterpillars are obviously innocent. They, they're not. They're not in it to make me feel bad. But I have a preference. I have a preference for the trees surviving. And then when I see the moths, we go, oh, I know, you guys are laying eggs for next year. You're going to do that to me again, and so on and so forth. And so the perception is built on experience. And there's, there's nothing right or wrong in it. But imagine if I hated the moths. Imagine if I believed in that perception, and then I, you know, I got the toxins out and started to spray it, chop the trees down. Uh, got mad at all the monks because there were so many caterpillars. And it sounds ridiculous, but this is what can happen if we're not we're not aware that perception is real, but it's not real. So my perception of the moss was real. It wasn't unreal, but it was something that I had created through my own desires. Now, if I was an orchardist, and I really had to protect my uh, cherry trees, I'd have to do something. Sure, I'd have to do something. But the, the additions of greed, hatred, and delusion that we put into our perceptions are, are really not necessary. And where this becomes really, I think, painful is, is the negative perceptions that we can hold about ourselves. Where, because of habit, because of childhood conditioning, because of cultural conditioning, something happens and a negative perception comes out about who I am or who you are. And, and then that neg negative perception is held as a reality. It's, as, it's, as, it's, it's the same as holding a negative perception about moths. You think about a moth, it would be ridiculous to hate a moth, but also in the same sense to hold a perception about yourself which is very heavy, downtrodden, critical, 
judgmental. That's a very crushing way to live your life. It's like you're you're a moth living under the foot of the orchardist. Very, very painful. And yet, when these perceptions are strongly conditioned into our hearts and minds, they they are very, very powerful. They they persist. They 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 seem like a, a a reality and they are reality in the sense that they are felt but they're not reality in any ultimate sense because they come and go and they're conditioned so part of the work of freedom is not believing in these perceptions I know Ajahn Sumedho has said to me he says I don't believe anything my mind says anymore <laughs> interesting comment right and so our, our own internal uh, dialogues in language um, sometimes is skillful, but of, oftentimes it's just habit going on, the habits of negativity that we might experience towards ourselves or others. So the work of, of freedom is, is to some extent, what do you trust? Like, what do, you, do, you, do you trust in those voices, those haunting voices? Does your attention get um, sucked into them so that they become haunting realities? Or do you say to them, I know you, Mara. I know you. That's just an object. That's just a thought. It's, it's, it's not who I really am. That's not my real home. And that, that sense of, of trusting in awareness of change rather than believing in the perception is, is very important for both a happy mind, but also a mind which is no longer preoccupied with the whole history of self, the whole sense of self, the whole conflict of ego that we that we experience as human beings and and when these when these haunting um, perceptions and, and kind of persistent perceptions come up um, what to do about it well to some extent we're, we're very much conditioned to fix things and we're good at that we're, we're good at analysis uh, we're good at sorting out things making them um, better or, or more efficient or we're good at trying to solve uh, disputes you know most of us are very uh, actually we're quite talented people we have a lot of gifts we've developed gifts we've worked hard in this life um, and, and so part of the I think the problem of freedom or the challenge of freedom is not to always try to fix everything that can be a kind of insidious habit of always trying to make right whatever is there. Uh, we can do that to a certain extent, but, at, but we have to, I think, realize that the, these negative impulses of greed, hatred, and delusion, the haunting voices of, of self-disparagement, or the haunting voices of judging others and so on, they're, they're not really... Uh, the, we have to take responsibility for them, but we're not creating them in the moment. They're coming... They're coming from previous sources. They're coming from our history. So if I feel, if I feel quite, uh, it's just like like the moth. Say, I mean, it's a it's a it's a silly example, but it's a good example because that perception of the moth. I'm not I'm not walking to the workshop and then thinking I will now perceive moths as being nasty. It just comes up, doesn't it? It comes up into consciousness because of my previous experience with the trees and the caterpillars. It's nature. It's natural. What I do with what I do with it at that moment of perception, well that's my choice. That's where I can make a choice. 
I can believe in my negative perception and get all caught up into it, or I can know this as a perception. Oh, that's just a perception. And then it's neutral. And then maybe it's fascinating. Wow, look at all these moths flying up and down. And that happened, of course. I, I saw the perception, and then I stopped. Oh. And then I really looked at the moths, and then I saw, wow, there are hundreds up and down these, these big um, beet, uh, basswood trees. So, now that's a, that's a facile, easy example. But the same thing happens then in our, in our inner world. We have you know, voices and perceptions which are critical and judgmental. And, and, and then sometimes we just try to fix it, try to be the opposite. So I shouldn't be critical, I shouldn't be judgmental, I shouldn't be jealous. But then that creates this kind of struggle which seems to not really work. On the other hand, we could just run with it, be critical and judgmental. But usually, I find the folk that come together uh, on these Dharma sessions, we're not like that. I don't find us really being indulgent to negativity. Sure, we get lost sometimes, but most of us, I find, are, are really, really take responsibility for that. You know, most of us are kind people, and and we don't want to hurt others. And that's what that's what I find, at least. And 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 so. Um, we sometimes think that the problem is these negativities, but that's not really the problem. The problem is is the believing in it, the getting caught up into it, in, in a sense that one tries to fix it, get rid of it, I should be something else. So the issue of trust for me is trusting in awareness of change rather than trusting in the in the movement of my emotional world. In the, in, the, in the ups and downs of my emotional world. And then all the language that comes from the ups and downs of my emotional world. My emotional world is, is I don't have control over it. Like if I, get, if I get the flu and I feel grumpy, I don't say to myself, oh great, let's be grumpy, I have the flu. I either can't, and I can't get rid of it either, but I can, oh grumpy is this way. With, with sickness as condition, there is grumpiness. And then if I'm just aware of grumpiness as a perception, then it's like the perception of the moths. It falls away and there's just the neutrality of being ill and the unpleasantness of the whatever it is in the body. But if, I, if I'm not awake to grumpiness, I become a grump and inflict it on everyone else. Or vice versa, I think I shouldn't have that. And then the habit of grumpiness actually just reinstitutes itself every time I feel sick. So this is karma. So with sickness as condition, maybe as a whatever age I started being this, I haven't been sick for a long time, so <laughs> I'm quite lucky. But you've got to have an example, right? So let's say as an adolescent or something, when there was sickness, then grumpiness became the habit for some reason. And what if I did that every time I became sick? When I was... 18, when I was 22, when I was 24, and every time I got sick, with sickness as condition, there is the grumpy person. Now, if I've been, if I've been doing that for 30 years, or 20 years, or 10 years, there, what's going to happen every time I feel sick? The first perception that will come up into the mind will be that grumpy uh, person, mindset, ego, whatever you want to call it. And that'll be natural. It won't be something that I... I'm creating in the moment. It's something that was 
has been created because of causes, and this is the effect. So there's nothing wrong with feeling grumpy. But what's the practice then? What is the practice? Well, not being aware of the grumpiness means that I just remain in that state. And two, two things, two things there. One is I remain in a negative state, but also uh, I, I, I can't touch the silence of the mind because I'm preoccupied with grumpy thoughts. Huh? I, I, I can't touch the freedom of the heart because I'm looking someplace else. I'm looking in grumpy thoughts. I'm caught in grumpy thoughts. But if I can constantly take refuge in awareness of change and I can bring up that perception that this is changing. Now that's a perception. A grumpiness is a perception and then after that this is changing. This is condition. That's a perception. And that's the Buddhist perception that gives us distance on these habits. That gives us a possibility to know these habits. So then the perception this is changing, it feels like this, is refuge. Buddha knowing Dharma. I know that this is, a, this is a condition that comes up when there is sickness. So with sickness as condition, there's grumpiness. But then witnessing it and knowing this will change and just bearing with it. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. But bearing with it, bearing with it, bearing with it, then it ceases into the silence of the mind. Not because I, 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 I sought out an alternative experience, but rather I stayed with this experience and took refuge in awareness rather than in desire or just getting lost in the mood of that. Now this takes work because it's difficult to bear with these kinds of things without getting lost in them. It's not difficult to be grumpy huh? or irritated or annoyed or worried or frightened or excited or bored. It's not difficult to experience that you have no choice. They arise. Question is when they arise, how, where, where does one, what does one trust? Like, what do you do? You trust the thinking mind then, to run with that? Well, the thinking mind, yes, it might be useful. It might say this is grumpiness. Be aware. That would be that would be useful. But if the thinking mind said, oh, you shouldn't be grumpy. You're always grumpy. You're always such a grumpy. You shouldn't be grumpy. That would be the wrong use of thought, attachment, or just distracting into some kind of sense experience which is pleasant, that'd be okay. You could do that. But if that's the only way you could do it, then at some point you'd probably not be able to distract. At some point you'd have something that'd be so negative you, don't, you wouldn't know where to go, I would say. So the, in, in the processes of, of, of freedom, I, 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 the way I experience it in my own lifetime is that by bearing witness to these ego thoughts, these ego definitions, these self-perceptions which are built up around fear and desire, uh, and I bear witness to them and I no longer trust them. I don't, they're there, I no longer trust them. I trust an awareness of change. As they fall away, the whole sense of, of uh, personality becomes less embedded in history and more available to the present. What do I mean by that? Well, when a personality is embedded in history, it tends to just be reactive through habits. So I feel sick, I get grumpy. Yeah? I'm, I'm, uh, something nice happens, I'm elated. Just a kind of habitual pattern. And then, then the reactions or responses to the world just can come from habitual patterns. They're not a refresh to the moment. 
But as I, as I let go of that whole I-thinking, me-making, I-making, my-making, in, in, the, in the text we have this word, ahankara mimankara, this whole sense of creating a self through thought. Oh, life is miserable, I shouldn't be this way, that shouldn't be that way. I no longer pick up all that thinking. I no longer believe in all that thinking. I just, so that's just thought. That's thought conditioned by mood. That's movement and awareness of change. Then, then there is a kind of freedom to respond to life from the purity of love, purity of presence, purity of openness, the purity of, of, of not being preoccupied with all those things. The work to get there is, is significant because the, the power of these things are not, uh, they're not trivial. The power of our negative habits or the power of ego thinking is not trivial. It's, it's very, as we were saying this morning with the monks, it's very disappointing how powerful ignorance is. Ignorance is very, um, ignorance is very clever, isn't it? How it can fool us into, into, into all manner of, of self-beliefs and so on. So, um, in, in your practice of meditation, what you, what you want to, I would suggest, what you want to learn to do is to sustain the awakened mind and then when perceptions of self come up, see them as objects. Comparison, like, like, let's say something like jealousy. You feel jealous about something. Maybe we're too old to be jealous now, I don't know. <laughs> but if you, if you feel that, that can be very threatening. Or you feel anxious, that can be very threatening. Your health, something's happening. And then the mind just runs with that, runs with that, that kind of habit. But if you, if you say, I don't trust in that thought. I'm not going to run with that thought. But I still have the emotional problem that I have to deal with. I just bear witness to it. And this is why we emphasize patience. Patient endurance. <laughs> My friend is falling asleep, so I just threw something at him. <laughs> I do that sometimes. <laughs> Lightens up the mood. <laughs> He's turning red. Anyway, back to the back to the program. Where was I? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so like uh, my my first five years, of, it wasn't brutal, honest. <laughs> my first five years of meditation, like like Ajahn Chah would just constantly say, uh, "Endure." You know what? Thanks. Is that all you can give me, the great master? Just be patient and endure. But what could he say? I had not trained my mind. I wasn't a bad person, but I hadn't trained my mind. So as I, as I tried to develop meditation, the habits, I had to bear witness, I had to be aware of the whole personality structure as an object, rather than constantly be that personality. So if I felt, if I felt over-inspired, you know, I'd really try stuff and then I'd fail and then I'd feel disappointed. And then I'd go to Ajahn Chah and, he'd, and, he, and I'd say, oh, it's so difficult. It's just, well, did you expect it to be easy? <laughs> is that the deal? Is it just come here for an easy lunch or something? No, it is difficult. So you have to bear witness. You have to be patient. And much of the early training wasn't very, uh, very fancy. It was just bearing witness to boredom, to self-doubt, to uh, annoyance at other monks, or uh, to lustful states of mind, or to loneliness. You know, very very ordinary uh, but profound states of mind which now as, as a monk I, 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 I really had no options I either bear witness to them or leave those are the two options because there were no escapes 
There was no literature, there was no music, there were a lot, a lot of times there were no English speakers. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience now, because I had good guidance. And so I go through a period of, of, of self-doubt. I can't do this, this is really difficult. And Ajahn Chah says it will change. It will change. Don't believe it. That's just a thought. Keep walking, keep sitting, keep walking, keep sitting. And that, uh, I, I needed his, 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 and Ajahn Sumedho too, I needed his trust to encourage my trust to just be aware. Don't even try to fix it. Don't try to be some, someone else, uh, some kind of lovely inspired monk all the time because then you'll really fail. And so I, would li- I, I, I lived as a monk and that contained me and, and, and uh, gave me the boundaries in which to live. But then the, the content of, of, of much of my consciousness was absolute garbage. <laughs> it, was, it was really, really difficult. But the awareness, so what, what, what I, I, and I, I, I kind of didn't really understand it then because it was so difficult, but because I had faith and a strong teacher, I, I realize now, looking back on it, what Ajahn Chah was helping me was build a foundation of awareness, to trust in awareness within moral boundaries, within the boundaries of responsibility and, and working hard to make the monastery a good place, within a, a good, good, good social structure. But the content of, of, of the, the, the meditation wasn't like... Some people think, oh, you sat with Ajahn Chah and then you were just blissed out all the time. No. Yeah, when I was near Ajahn Chah, it made me very happy. But then on my own, there were a lot of, a lot of negative states of mind to deal with. Why? Because I hadn't trained the mind. I hadn't even really looked at that. I had just used distraction. So, so most of us are, are well over 50, I think, from what I can see. And... and uh, so most of us have trained our minds to some extent, all those early infatuations or whatever it might be, um, difficulties. We've, as adults, we've, we've processed a lot of that. But still there can be these, these strong residues of, self, of, of um, self-perceptions, I would say. And if they're negative, you know, if they're really negative and they're kind of real downers and putting you down, and you see that those are just voices, they're just moths. Don't believe in them. They're, you know, they're, 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 not, they're very powerful, but don't believe in them. And as you stop believing in them, then you have more and more faith in awareness. And awareness is your refuge. It, it really is the place of, of peace. If, if the voices of, of uh, confusion or whatever come up real strong, obviously body awareness is good. Um, and sometimes you get like kind of relapses, I found, not recently, but sometimes you get like a, um, an attack of fear or, or self-doubt will come up. And, and where's that coming from? Well, it's there. You don't have to fix it. You just have to trust that. No, trust in awareness. Trust in awareness. This will change. On the positive side, you know, we, all of us, have, have developed a, a lot of skill to be here to be sitting here, to be listening to Dharma. We've developed a lot of very wholesome factors to, to use this time of COVID lockdown um, to spend an, uh, a, a day of mindfulness. This is, this is really quite um, admirable, isn't it? Quite uh, to, be, to be applauded that we have this love of truth and we have this sense of morality and sense of decency that we've all developed. And, and to 
to turn to turn the mind to beauty is one of the ways that we can develop a stronger sense of presence. Now, now, now beauty has the power to attract us, and 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 beauty is used in in commercial purposes in order not just to attract us, but to, to attract our dollars, if you have any dollars, to make us buy things. But that's a, that's a secular use of beauty. A, a spiritual use of beauty is to elevate the mind to a sense of knowing, to a sense of awareness, to a sense of presence. Uh, great art can do that, nature does that. And so the Buddha asked his monks, and Ajahn Chah too, to, to live in, in, in natural environments. To, to, to live with natural colors and the, and the sky and so on and so forth. So living, uh, living in, in a place of natural beauty, it's not always beautiful. The deer fly are not beautiful. The mosquitoes are not beautiful. Winter's tough sometimes. But all in all, what it does, it, it, it calms the mind. You, you, you look at a tree and it's not something you want to own, but it is beautiful. Now, where does, where, do, where does the opportunity to notice beauty come from? It comes from we're not preoccupied with thinking, with self-thinking, with I-making, my-making, isn't it? Haven't we all, uh, on retreats, maybe you've done a retreat for five or ten days, and it's been difficult, you feel restless the first few days, and, and, and then you think, you want to leave maybe, I'm not getting anywhere, and you stick with it, you stick with it, and then one day you walk outside and it's utterly beautiful. It was there all the time. But why is it utterly beautiful? I would say it's because you're now available to beauty. Your mind has been liberated from this, this self-consuming um, blanket of thinking, self-thinking, I-making, my-making. And, 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 and then you, you, you realize you didn't really produce the beauty. I would say you're available to it. So if you can, in your life, whatever forms of beauty you enjoy, if you, can if you can use that to lift the mind into awareness, bring the mind to awareness by using beauty. It might be music, it might be art, it might be whatever. And then and hold the mind with that sense of, of appreciation of the way things are. Learn, learn to... Um, learn to... We all do all... You know, if you go out into nature and you do see... An, the kids, right, when they see uh, an animal or something, it's lovely to see their innocence in those things. Like when you look at a robin. If you really look at a robin, it's not just a robin. You know, there's something really beautiful about a bird. But what do you need to do that? You need to let go of the preoccupation with past and future and come into the present moment. Then beauty presents itself. And that's what we mean by mudita. Mudita is one of the four Brahma-viharas, one of the four heart qualities that, that the Buddha talked about, and that's a possibility in human nature. But if we are just preoccupied with the, with the self-thinking, I-thinking, me-making, past-future, 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 then how can beauty enter into a consciousness? There's no space. There's no space. So when we witness the I-making, my-making, the self-thinking, the self-absorption, the self-criticism, the judgment of others, the horror of this or the horror of that, uh, when we begin to witness that, we begin to introduce space into our experience. And then as we emphasize the space rather than the objects in space, we begin to be available to beauty. Hmm? Takes a bit of work, but 
to trust in that every now and then, you know, so yeah, this does work that way. Yeah. And then we get better and better at it. So I have the perception of the moth, but that percept that ability to perceive the moth to know that I'm perceiving a negative way comes from a lot of practice, doesn't it? I'm not just you know, I just notice, well that's interesting. That perception is negative as opposed to positive. We define we, we develop this kind of refined sensitivity to how consciousness is working, how awareness is working, how the mind is working. And then all those tendencies to get to get drawn into all the, the habits of mind, we just don't go there. We just don't pick them up. We don't believe in them. So back to that uh, original idea, which I started this talk with, the idea of a, a negative perception about yourself. If you can see that that's just a perception, that whatever, whatever way you negate yourself, if, we, if you do that, that's just, a, that's just a thought, that's just an idea. And the knowing is not an idea. The knowing you can trust, but that idea, it comes and it goes. So trusting, so you come back to, and I, I usually ask this of people on retreats, what do you trust in? Well, okay, I trust in morality, and I trust in, in the healthcare system, or I, I trust in, in my insurance plan, or I trust my mechanic because my car brakes work well, and so on. Sure, sure, we have functional trust, but on a kind of spiritual, existential level, what is your trust? It, do you trust in, in analysis and thought? Mm -hmm. Does that always work? Do, is that your go-to place? They always just analyze and think and judge. Is that your go-to place? What is your go-to place? Um, so so I, I'm, I'm suggesting allow your go-to place to be awareness of the way things are. You'll, have res you'll still respond to life. You'll still have a c capacity to respond well. It's not like you're catatonic or something. Actually, you're more with it. You're more aware. And then from that perspective of, of witnessing and knowing, then you make decisions from clarity. But if the mind is always just preoccupied with its self-histories and past and future and all the complexity that does, then of course the, 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 the responses we have to life tend to be reactions. Just react in all habitual ways. So I think I'll leave it there. That's sufficient to ponder. Maybe we could open the questions. <laughs> That's a really Zen thing, wasn't it? Hi, Patrick.